Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, that's good then that you've come back for more. Welcome to episode two of the Peer Project podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Duke, and thank you for uh, joining us even last week as well with uh, Joel and Naughty. Um, a bit of a unique story about uh, a sex writer turned, um, I wouldn't even know how to describe it, but uh, author and um, helper of people with depression. <laughs> um, it was a great, great interview. If, if you haven't heard it, go back uh, to last week's episode and have a listen because it was very, very enlightening. Uh, Speaking of enlightening, this week I have uh, a great guest, Irish radio DJ, uh, Keith Walsh, uh, radio radio DJ and TV personality, who has went through his own mental health journey, and uh, he tells us all about it. So, here he is, episode two of the Peer Project podcast with Keith Walsh. I wanted to tell you this story, and you tell me if this sounds familiar to you, okay? Okay. But a few a few years ago, I um, I was a breakfast radio presenter. I was um, I'd been with the station for about four years. Um, it was local radio, so it wasn't like national radio, like like what you what you did. Um, and I was on air one day, and my boss came into the the studio and said, "Chris, can you voice track the last hour and come upstairs for a wee chat?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, no bother." So voice track the last hour. It was a Friday. And I, I said at the end of the show, okay, that's me. See you Monday. Bye. Um, that was my last show. Ouch. Yep. They took me upstairs and uh, told me that what was going out would, would be my last show. And I didn't get to say goodbye and get to do any of that sort of stuff. And I was just, I was just ditched. And now, well, since then, I've now spent most of my time trying to help people with their mental health. Now, you tell me if that story doesn't sound familiar to you. <laughs> Something very familiar about that. Uh, there must be some, must be like, I'm just thinking of how many breakfast presenters are, the breakfast radio presenters are there out there. Like, we should, we could, we should form like a group of, yeah, uh, former breakfast, <laughs> breakfast <laughs> radio presenters now helping people with their mental health and talking about mental health and being all vulnerable and shit. Yeah. So what what happened to you? Like, if you don't mind talking about that initially, like what happened to you? Because you um, 
something similar happened to you, didn't it? In terms of yeah, it wasn't as abrupt. Like I mean, Jesus, I've heard of uh, I've heard of radio stations literally, you know, taking people straight after their show and like, like escorting them off the premises and, you know, put everything in this box and security, just bringing them off the premises and all like radio. Sta- some radio stations are C-U-N-T's like really like it's a vicious business, you know? Um, and I've known lots of people who were told like it was quite amicable, but then at the last minute, they're like, Oh yeah, you're not doing your last show or, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, mistrust and nastiness in that business. Uh, I was working for um, 2FM, mm-hmm. uh, National Youth Radio Station Ireland, similar to BBC, I suppose, would have the biggest listenership um, in the country. And we, I did a breakfast show with two friends um, and we did that for five years. Um, and then it kind of, um, it just sort of fell apart in that one presenter they took out a presenter and they put her on the nine o'clock slot. So, you know, I suppose they were thinking maybe we'd keep the breakfast show going in its form and then, then she'd be on next and sort of like, sort of mm-hmm. almost like split the breakfast show and, and build the audience. Cause we were getting a quite a good audience, you know? Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of, um, then that just didn't happen. So basically, <laughs> uh, ultimately, I got kicked off the breakfast show and saw the, um, Bernard, who I worked with, and uh, Jen, who were all still friends, you know, but just at the time, the way it was managed, the way it happened, um, I was, I felt like I, I, it was managed in a way that I was kind of promised another job, but that didn't happen. And then I was left with no gig. And then they put me on weekends and I was like, Oh, fuck this shit. Like I never, like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't get into, I didn't get into radio necessarily to present, you know, a music show. Um, yeah. I liked doing breakfast radio cause I liked the, I suppose the banter for want yeah. of a better word. I liked the creativity of it, the, the writing and the, the comedy and the sketches and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. So I think, um, Jesus, I feel like I feel like my, mine was managed quite well compared to yours. Um, <laughs> was was that it then, Chris? Was that it? Like, were they like were they saying this? That's your last show, and you're gone yeah, from so the radio the, station. The, there was there was a kind of there's more there's more to the story in the sense of okay. uh, that the the radio station was being sold. Um, it was being sold to the local the local newspaper company actually, and but they only wanted to buy the the license they didn't want you know the presenters they didn't want anything and um and it was being sold that day so this has been this has been in the works for for months apparently and here's me working my and i'll be honest with you working my arse off trying to build their listeners and because we were we were like um so we were proper proper local radio so we had we had them tfm which was a big bower network and then we had us, which was the independent local station. And I had built that breakfast show to actually make the breakfast show for Bauer actually, you know, step up and think, oh, hold on a wee minute. I need to, I need to do something here. Mm. And I worked my ass off for it. And then they were just like, no, you're done. That's it. It's over. And I was, I was heartbroken. I mm. was, I was about a month away from um, major surgery and three months away from my third child being born. Oh, shit. So, yeah. Well, I think 
I mean, uh, on top, like the, there's obviously the financial implications of something like that. And obviously when you've got a child on the way and you have to go home and tell your other half and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's the worry and the stress that comes with it. But for me, um, I, it was the, it was the rejection mm-hmm. uh, that I, now I feel like uh, almost in your case, it was a little bit of, do you feel like oh they were selling it so did you take it less like for me it was like no they, they they're they're still going they're still going as they were they're just replacing mm-hmm. the presenters so they don't think i'm good enough and i i know i know what you're saying but not necessarily because when the the newspaper kind of picked up the license and they started their own radio station they brought back a whole load of other presenters from the old station. Okay. But not me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it was the rejection for me as well. Because like, I've got an article up in front of me just now of one of, one of the, your newspaper interviews and you said, literally, I felt like I wasn't good enough. And that's how I felt. Yeah. And, and horrible. And the thing about it is, because you'll say these things and people will be like, yeah, well, that's just fucking, you know, you know, Grow a pair of balls and man up. It's like that's just oh, like shit. Oh, shit no. happens. <laughs> shit happens. And like I was never saying. I never sort of. I mean, I did initially point the finger and and there was a there was blame from my side to like I like I I was very angry with them. But then I kind of realized it was actually not that it was. I don't want to say it was my fault, but what I what I had to look at and the re, and what I went when I went to therapy. What I had to look at, and you'll probably be uh, understand what I'm saying here, just from what you've said already. But I had to look at my relationship with the job and what it meant to me as a person, the success. Yeah. Uh, so you were saying you worked your ass off mm-hmm. for them to be the best, while in the background they were selling the radio station. Yeah. Uh, didn't give a shit, really. You know. Mm-hmm. Let's be blunt about the hard work you were doing, but you would have felt like I'm fucking working hard here. This is good. People mm-hmm. are going to be impressed by this. I'm doing well. I've got a good radio station. I can hold my head up when I meet people out in the street, all that kind of stuff, because it's the, your job, the job you're doing and how hard you're working for the people that you work for is inextricably linked to who you are as a person. And in a way that's wrong mm-hmm. because you, Chris should be able to hold your head up and feel happy and feel content and not feel stressed and whatever even if you're not doing a fucking good job for whoever you're working for, because it shouldn't be, do you know what I mean? It shouldn't be based on how well you're doing in work, how happy you feel necessarily. I mean, look, if you're doing well in work and you're happy and you've a great, if you've got the balance right and your personal life is great and you're doing a great job in work. In fact, if you can get your personal life right and you can get your health well and you can get your mental health right, you're probably going to do a better job in work without it being detrimental to your mental health. And the problem was for me, when the rug was pulled from under me, I was flattened because so much of me was built into the radio show and the fact that I was a presenter on the radio show and the fact that it was doing well and all this kind of stuff. And then it was like, oh, shit. And then it was therapy. And then it was like, oh, I went back into my childhood, childhood traumas. I'm a people pleaser. You know, one of my biggest driving forces in life is to be seen to be a, the great the good guy doing a great job by pe- yeah. by other by other people 
and none of my confidence or uh, happiness was was self-generated. It all came from the reactions of other people to the work I was doing um, and to my successes. And it was all external. It was never internal. It was never just mm-hmm. me being happy with who I was, separate from whatever the fuck job I did, whether I was shoveling yeah. shit or, or whether I was working in the city or whether I worked for a bank and I was, you know, giving people's mm-hmm. houses away or take, make them... Like, it, it, a job is a job. And a lot of what I learned about my mental health and, and who I was as a person, it all came down to... Uh, it, 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 it was... I don't know how if you'd feel the same, but probably a blessing in disguise in a way, ultimately. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because when I when I was a wee boy, and I, I've told this story a million times, but when I was a wee boy, all I ever wanted to be was on the radio. That was like my my dream job. I had two tape recorders, and I would I would record my my voice in one. I'd play some tapes here, and then I'd push them together, and I would make radio shows for my mom and dad. So when I got this job, it was it, it was a, it was a dream come true, and when when it all went away, I was devastated. It was it was it was done. It was like my my dream is over. But now I'm getting to do some some more amazing stuff, and I get and I get to tell that story. I, like for the before the pandemic, I was traveling around the country, um, visiting schools and doing mental health talks in schools. It's three schools a day, five days a week. It was. Like a full time, it was amazing, and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't got binned from the radio station. Mm. Um, yeah, and I definitely think that whoever I was as a person, um, I was probably only uh, kind of not not a shadow of. Them. I was definitely only a percentage of the person I am now. While I was there, being inverted commas successful as a radio presenter. Um, and it's 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 kind of different for me a little bit in that, like I've I've worked in radio for twenty years, but I've never I've always had a bit of imposter syndrome with radio, and I kind of got into radio from a different place in that I was, I'd kind of studied acting and I was doing a bit of writing and and I was writing comedy sketches and me and my friend were trying to figure out a way. We were a bit older, uh, kind of late twenties. We'd done traveling and arson around and all that kind of stuff. And then we, we, we lived in a flat together and we were writing comedy and we were trying to figure out a good, cheap way to get our comedy out there somehow. It's not like now, if, if it was now, we'd be on TikTok or we'd, yeah. we'd have been on Instagram. We'd have made a sketches. It would have been fine. Then you had to have a production company, a decent camera. You needed uh, to be, uh, you needed to get into the television game or whatever, but radio seemed accessible. So we did a radio course. And we started doing these radios, these comedy sketches on radio. And we came, I came into radio that way through the back door. And slowly but surely, the comedy sketches got less and less and the radio presenting got bigger. And then lo and behold, kind of before I knew where I was, I was presenting on national radio on the breakfast show, on the biggest breakfast show in the country. And, and for me, it was like, oh, Jesus, um, not really sure. I'm, it's, <laughs> I think you got the wrong guy here, but, you know, let's give it a go. And, you know, and, we, and I managed to do it for five years. So having done that for 20 years, uh, when I was let go, when the job, when when somebody else decided that the, the fucking show that we had built up was, that's the worst part. Yeah. Of it. You work, you do all the work to build up a show. Someone else decides it's over. And you're like, but it, how can you decide it's over? You didn't do anything. <laughs> but here I was 20 years into radio, five years on national radio station. 
And then they, they, they took me off it. And I was like, see, I told you, I told you I shouldn't be here. It was confirmation mm-hmm. that I wasn't supposed to be there, you know? Um, and that was the thing that I needed to deal with then. So, you know, lots of stuff came from that. That, as I said, that I needed to do was like imposter syndrome, people pleaser, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and ultimately a really kind of timely, um, a timely thing that happened because in, I, I don't know what your, what the listeners, the listenership is like to the podcast, but um, for men, when they get to the age of, mid forties, late thirties, early forties, you can lose a job or, or a wife or a partner or, or something. You can have something happen to you where something's taken away from you or there's, or, or a parent dies or something. It can, it can, it can pull you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be a bad, it can be a difficult time for men and you can go sort of like, you can go down, uh, it can take you down or, and I, I was kind of aware of that when the, when the job was finished up and, and, and my wife actually said to me, uh, Keith, I think this is, would be a really good time for you to start therapy. Um, and I knew she was right. She kind of made the decision for me. Um, but I agreed with her. And I remember thinking at the time, yeah, that's a good idea because I need to keep my, I need to make sure my head, I didn't really know what I was getting into with therapy, but I knew that I needed to keep my, make sure my head was right going into whatever the next part of my life was. And I just didn't want this to take me down. I didn't want this to be the last, I didn't, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how bad it was going to get. I didn't like, when I think about it now, like stupidly, one of my biggest concerns was like, well, I don't want to work for a radio station that has, that is smaller than the radio station I work with. Like somehow that would be, like a failure. What would people yeah. think, you know? Um, and when I think about that now, I'm like, that, well, that, that's just, re-, you know, I was still in that place of like success. Yeah. And what would people think, which is so far away from where I am now. Like, like couldn't give a shit. Like this time last year, I think it was this time last year, it was Easter. And I was drawing and selling Easter cards to people because I got into drawing and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that was what I was doing. It was like, I didn't give a shit I was literally just doing whatever the fuck I wanted. Yeah. And take me back to the the, the decision to go to therapy though. Was it because you've mentioned a couple of times now, but as a as a man and as you've you've got children, haven't you? Yeah, you have. You mentioned it before. Yeah. yeah um, as and, and as a dad, um was it was it a difficult decision to make or or were you quite happy to say, yep, this is me, this is what I'm doing now? Um it wasn't a difficult decision to make. In that, uh, like, I suppose there is part of you going, like, as a man, you know, the way we've been brought up, you need uh-huh. to just fucking deal with your shit. Like, you know, you need to cop on. And as I said earlier, grow a pair of balls and man up, all that kind of stuff. And if you if you can't handle these situations on your own, you're seen as some sort of weakling. Um, and that's that's something that we tell ourselves and that's mm-hmm. something that society tells us. And that's something that we we've been told. Um, so there was a big part of me saying, this is like me admitting that I'm failing in some way or that I'm weak in some way. But, but at the same time, I had enough good sense to say, well, 
well, if it doesn't do anything for me, then my situation is still the same. You know, the worst, best case scenario is that it improves, it somehow improves things. I often tell the story about a friend of mine, very good friend of mine who was in London uh, when, when um, COVID started, the very first lockdown, he was in London. Um, his parents weren't well. His sister wasn't well. He was kind of the guy in the family that was a fixer. Like he, he, right. if something wasn't, you know, if something wasn't going, he'd fly out, he'd sort it out, he'd, you know. Um, but he was in lockdown. He couldn't go anywhere. He was working from home. He couldn't see his family. He couldn't, you know, he he couldn't go into the office. All this kind of stuff. And I just, I, I was talking to him, and he was like, he wasn't in a good place. And I knew by talking to him, and I said, and I, and I. I it was unusual for me, but I had just started therapy and I was kind of like, I was all about it. Like I, mm-hmm. I was, I hadn't just started, but I was into it enough to like love it and be like, this is brilliant. This is working. So I was like, would you, would you talk to somebody? And he was like, what the, why would I talk to someone? And I said, well, I'll talk to a therapist. So he said, what are they going to do? Get rid of COVID. And I explained to him, I said, they won't get rid of COVID, but they'll help you deal with your situation. And that's all it ever is. So you don't go into a therapist and he's not going to say, well, I just rang up the old radio station. They're going to give you your job back. Good news. What he'll do is he'll help you cope with the situation you find yourself in. Um, and so, and, and, and obviously I only f- sort of realized that's what was happening as I went. And I, and I went for like every week for a long time, for about a year. Um. And the biggest thing, the best thing that ever happened to me in my life was about three months into um, therapy. And Luke is the guy I got. I still see him. I still check in every six weeks or whatever. Uh, Luke used to talk, mention the word vulnerability, you know, mm-hmm. and I always, I always joke that I, you know, I didn't know what vulnerability meant really. I didn't, I, I you know, being vulnerable, what's that mean? It means, you know, cycling without a bicycle, a helmet on your, head or something you know you leave yourself open it's not i never really thought about it but when it clicked with me what he meant was allow yourself to tell people when you're struggling allow yourself to be honest with not liking something allow yourself it was just about being honest being vulnerable like showing your wife that like my wife thought that i was like you know this cool, calm, collected guy that nothing ever phased and everything was always cool and don't worry about it. But I worried about things all the time. I just didn't share the fact that I worried about stuff with my wife, which is so weird. Like my best friend in the world, the person I live in, I live in the same house as her. I see her every day. I sleep in the same bed as her and I'm not telling her things that are going on in my head. That's so weird. And that's what vulnerability was. It was like just talking to people about and being open about how you're actually feeling about stuff. And that was a revelation for me. I was like, okay, right. So I don't have to, you know, so, so I think what a lot of men do is we lash out about things that aren't the thing that we're concerned about at all. We, cause we're bottling everything up. We're not being vulnerable. We're not, we're not allowing ourselves to say that we're, worried about this or this bothers us or this is we're not happy with this or I'm not happy with my job or or I'm worried about money. Uh, you know, men might not, you might not say to your wife, listen, I don't really have the money you think I have and we're racking up a bit of debt here and, you know, we're a man, we just go, it'll be fine, keep going. And then 
men have terrible habits of backing themselves into a corner um, and it gets so bad that, you know, the only way out is something dreadful that nobody yeah. wants. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that all the time. And that's because we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable because society tells us that we have to tell our wives, our spouses and our friends and the lads down the pub that we've got everything fucking sorted. Everything's cool. Don't worry about me. Meanwhile, there's a whole world of turmoil possibly going on in your own head that you're not dealing with. And I guarantee if you're not dealing with it, it will deal with you at some point. Wow. That is a, I've never heard it explained like that. If you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. Yeah. That is, um, if I wasn't wearing this jumper, you'd see I've got goosebumps at the moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so is that, because of the whole vulnerability thing that you were talking about there, is that what made you decide to to become, without sounding cheesy, yes, not your average mental health advocate? Yeah, it was, try- it was somebody, um, uh, a lady called Siobhan, who's doing a bit of work with, she said, I think... I think mental health advocate is, is good to put on your bio, but I don't think you're, you're you know, you're not your normal mental health advocate because I don't feel like a mental health advocate. So I was yeah. trying to like, whatever. The, it was the vulnerability thing. And I said, do you know what? And I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. Um, my sister, this, I mean, it's, and you, you have your own stories about how things happen. It was so bizarre. My sister had asked me to give a talk, just randomly give a talk on, it was mental health day or men's mental health day in her office, not in her office, in the world, but mm-hmm. they were, they wanted someone to come in and give a talk in her office. And I said, yeah. And meanwhile, like no job going to therapy. Uh, don't even know what it, I was, think I was working. I was doing the job at the weekends presenting, you know, so I, I don't know what was going on. Um, but I said, yeah, to my sister, cause that's what you do, you know? And, yep. uh, um, and it was the day, be- it was around that time, it was, it was coming up to the day I was going to go into this office and give a talk about mental health. And I hadn't really, I, was, I wasn't, mental health had nothing to do with me. Because, and people say that to you sometimes, they look at you and they tilt your mm-hmm. head to the side and they go, oh, it's sorry to hear you have mental health. My brother had mental health. And you're, you're like, no, you don't. everybody has mental health. <laughs> it's not a disease. But I hadn't, you know, that's the way I thought. Uh, so I was like, what am I going to talk about? And it was around that time I, I clicked the whole vulnerability thing. And, I, and it was that light bulb moment. And I was going, I'll just go in and tell people how I felt about being sacked and about feeling rejected and feeling sad. And I'll just be honest. I was like, I'll just be honest with them. I'll just tell them how I'm feeling. It was like, oh, my God. Wow. Like, it, it was like a revelation. It was like, mm-hmm. if I stand in front of people and just tell them how I felt. and. It was, I was trying to write how I felt and it wasn't coming. And I said, I'll record it. And then I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll go on Instagram live. I'll turn on Instagram live. And with Instagram live, you don't know. Two people might watch, 10 people might watch. You just, you just throw it on. And I was like, it'll focus me. I'll, I'll, uh, and I'll tell people on Instagram live that I've started going to therapy and I'll tell them a little bit about therapy and what it's like and why I think it's great and why it's helped me and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's what, and then that'll be my speech for tomorrow. And I just went on Instagram Live and I said, "Look, uh, I just wanted to come on today because um, I've started going to therapy and I love it. And I want to tell you why I started going to therapy, and I want to tell you why I love it, and and I want to encourage other people to go." And that was it. And I spoke for about half an hour maybe because once I started talking, 
you know, that was it. And I, um, a good few people kind of watched it at the time. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Put it away. Done being. And I got loads of messages afterwards. And then sort of like people started getting in touch with me privately. And then I, people, I ended up recording and putting up on YouTube and then whatever. It was just kind of, it was mad. It was mad for me because. I was like, that's what being vulnerable means to people, to mm. other people. When you're vulnerable, that's what it means to them. It wasn't, it wasn't um, unlike some of my radio successes, this success in commas wasn't, I don't think it was related to ego. I wasn't like going, oh my God, this is great. Like so many people have watched this video now. It's, it's really successful. I'm an influencer. I was like, it just, it was so glaringly obvious to me the power of vulnerability mm-hmm. and being honest. And I was going, wow, that's mad. And then I was able to go into the to the office and, and, and talk about it uh, the next day and just felt so comfortable. And I had people coming up to me afterwards going, my brother's really struggling. Um, have you any any advice or, you know, and I, I gave her my, I said, look, just tell him to get, get touch me on Instagram and I'd pass on Luke's number and, mm-hmm. You know, over the next few weeks, I was poor old Luke was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't have the capacity for this, Keith. But he was able to pass on numbers to other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it just it was just that a thing of um, of getting out there and being honest and talking about your experiences seemed to get to people and yeah. seemed to especially men were like. So many men like because girls were women were showing their husbands and they were because I was talking about how. I spoke about how one thing in particular I was talking about when I'm with my family, like I, I love my family, my wife. I've, I've known my wife since I was 16. Like, you know, we grew up together. We're, we're best friends. Very, very lucky. She's very tolerant and she's nice <laughs> as well. And I have two kids. My daughter's 19 and my son's 13. And I was saying, I love my family, but there were times where I was with my family and they it was a sort of a moment should have been a moment of family joy where three members of my family were laughing and joking and seemed to be having a great time. And I felt outside of that. I never. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Really sense that joy that they seem to be enjoying. And I seem to operate and it's sort of when I thought it was me thinking back on those moments, I realized I operated on this sort of flat line all the time. Um, and because of childhood traumas and, and the way I was brought up and things that happened to me at home when I was a kid, I, I was minding. I got so used to minding my emotions so well that I never let them get out of hand up or yeah. down. Um, but, but it was, it was, it was me talking about, how I felt and how I always felt like we've in Ireland, we say grand, everything's grand. Mm-hmm. And, and I decided being grand isn't good anymore. Cause you just, that's your answer to everything. How are you grand? You know, how are you feeling now? Grand. Uh, how is your dinner? Grand. How's work? Grand. Everything's grand. That's not good. And I wasn't happy with everything being grand. I wanted it to be really shit or brilliant or something, not just grand all the time. Yeah. Cause that was a bad thing. It was a bad, it was too much control uh, of if you, if you control your emotions that much, you're not going to, you might not get hurt, but you won't experience, you know, true love or true Mm. joy or true excitement. You're protecting yourself. So yeah, it was, it was talking about things like that, that, you know, a lot of women sort of and girls were showing to their boyfriends and husbands, look, look at this. I think you're like this. I think this is what's wrong. Because men are, you know, we, we put the, the shutters down and we don't talk and we don't communicate and we go AWOL, even though we're in the house or, you know, we're, we're operating on, mm. on some sort of, you know, first gear. We're not totally involved in what's going on. And that seemed to strike a chord with people. And I'm glad to say that a lot of men went to therapy because of my vulnerability. Amazing. Did um you mentioned before that in, in radio, you know, you spent about 25 years uh, living with this imposter syndrome. When when you moved into doing this sort of thing and, you know, even at that first talk at your sister's work, um, how did you feel then? Did you feel, you know, because I, I, I get messages sometimes from people saying, no, you, you won't believe um, you've helped my child with this, that. And I'm like, I've got no right to help. Like to help to have this effect on someone's life. I'm wondering if 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 you went through the same sort of thing, or are you just you? You're comfortable with this now. This is it. This is me. Um, I don't really think that I was more in awe of. I was. It was all about for me. It was about Luke, and I was just like telling people what Luke said. Yeah. So it was never about me. I was just like, you want to go and see this guy? He's brilliant and if you if you can't go see him go see someone like him because they're brilliant so i was only ever like passing on the message mm-hmm. and i was only ever talking about my experience so i was never like um uh, uh you know a health expert or whatever so it never felt like i was always like well i can come in here and just be honest and tell my story and if that helps people and people are happy that that was a much more comfortable place for me to be 
breakfast radio is like, hey, I'm wacky and I feel great today. And that was an uncomfortable place for me to be all the time. Um, but just being honest and talking like I'm talking with you now, that's that's very comfortable. And I'm only ever talking about my experience. And you have to, as well as that, Chris, you know yourself, you have to be honest about your experience. Like, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, these are just my thoughts. This is just my experience. This is just what, what happened to me. Mm-hmm. It's different to what happened to other people. And also it's important to separate like I was very lucky in that I went to, I was probably, he, I probably, I don't know what, where or how you, what your experience was like after you lost the job, but I probably just about avoided, a, you know, a, a bit of a breakdown. Um, my wife would say that I probably did go through a breakdown, but I didn't notice or it wasn't as severe as it yeah. could have been because of my, of therapy. I certainly didn't notice it. Um, there are definitely times where I felt very low. Uh, but I always have to separate what I'm talking about from, you know, there are people who have to take medication and there are people who have to go and maybe stay in hospital for a while and all that stuff is, and that, but that, and that's all good stuff, you know? Uh, so I'm never talking about um, uh, extreme cases of, you know, my, like my experiences for some people, some people could look at my experience and say, I wish that was me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and the and the only people I'm really ever talking about is people who, because of their upbringing or because of a, a trauma that happened to them, or because they lost a job at a certain age, or because of X, Y, and Z, they're not getting the most out of life, um, and they're not living their true potential, and they're not being the person they really should be. Uh, I, I'm just trying to get to them, you know. Um, I had a young guy get in touch with me. And he was just about to get married to his fiance, and he sent me this big long message, and he it was yada yada yada. I have this thing that happened to me when I was very young that I've never told anybody about, and I haven't told my fiance, and we're about to get married. I, I really I don't know what to do, and I was like, look, you could take my advice or whatever, but I presume he was looking for advice, and I said, I think what you need to do is go to a therapist, and I think you need to have a conversation about what it was that happened to you. And I think you need to figure out how, first of all, you deal with that and have that chat with the conversation with the, with the, with the, with the therapist. And then I said, and then maybe I'm, I mean, I'm speaking not as a therapist, I said, but then maybe you probably at some point need to talk to your fiance about it, preferably before you get married, because that's the, that's, it's only, that's the fairest thing to do for her mm-hmm. because very often people get into relationships and one or the other or both aren't being completely honest about where they're at in their own heads or what's happened to them or what's, you know, maybe there's some kind of terrible thing that happened to them that they haven't properly dealt with. And that's not a great way to start off in married life. Um, anyway, so, so he did get back to me in touch with me and he said, look, we're getting married next week. I've been to therapy. We had a chat about it. She's totally like cool about, like he was worried that if he was honest about whatever it was that happened to him, you can imagine what it was that she would reject him. She'd walk away. She'd think less of him. He said it was the best thing I ever did. And I was just, I didn't care if, you know, if I never touched anybody's life ever again, but even just that knowing that that young couple were heading into married life with a complete clean slate, everything out in the open. 
um, having had a, probably a brilliant conversation and he was able to share everything about himself with the person he loved. And I was like, that is the best start to any relationship, you know, whatever happens after that, yeah. you, you, you know, and, and that, that, that was a huge thing for me to see that, you know. Yeah. So your, your message, for the, what I'm getting from you um, through this <laughs> chat anyway, is um, you, you swear by therapy is what I'm, what I'm getting. <laughs> you're, you're picking and, subtle, subtle hits. hints. Yeah, but, but it's not, but it's not a bad thing. Cause I would say, I only really discovered therapy in the past year um, because obviously COVID, COVID came and everything went. I'd mentioned before I had just like this really best-selling book. It was great. I was touring the country, everything. And then COVID came and everything stopped. Like the book stopped selling. I stopped going to schools. The money stopped coming in. And it was just, it, it was, and I felt that I was failing as a dad and as a provider to my family and it was um it was my wife that suggested that we we try uh, therapy and i'm with you therapy if i'm being honest with you saved my marriage you know that's the first thing 100 saved my marriage and helped me get past or sorry not even get past but deal with the situation that we were in because as you said, the therapist couldn't go, all right, I've cured COVID. There you go. Go back to the schools. No, I had to deal with the fact that I might never get to do this again. Let's work out what I'm going to do next. Um, so I'm 100% with you. And I wish that more people knew is maybe not the right word, but would accept that going to therapy is not a bad thing. It's not a sign of weakness. It's, I would actually say more it's a, it's a bigger sign of strength. Than weakness. What well, What about you? What, what would you say? Oh, it's a it's it's a superpower. It's like a secret weapon that people aren't using. It's like if you know you you go and you talk to this person and they like life is life can be life is hard. Like just living is hard. Like and doing things like like you mentioned, like being being the things that were supposed to be like provider and having a house and having a mortgage and all that kind of stuff and getting ahead and getting a job and doing stuff and, you know, get like that, like, and, and you know, and then bad things happen as well. Like people die and you, you have to deal with all sorts of trauma along the way. Life is, is, is no one saying that life isn't hard, um, but it's, but therapy helps you deal with, deal with the bumps in the road. And it's almost like, it's not that it's not that you're going, Wee! Mm-hmm. but you're certainly not like totally freaked out. You're like, OK, this is OK. This is I mean, this is bumpy. Yeah, this is a bumpy bit here. But you know what? I'm going to deal with this. Something terrible is going to happen. Happen. I'm going to deal with it properly. It, it just allows you to enjoy. Uh, what is a kind of a crazy ride? Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, and yeah, you just get to talk to somebody for an hour every week, you know, that alone is, is, um, you see, the thing about it is the person you, some people feel like they can't talk to the person they should be able to talk to. And sometimes you need to go to therapy because the person you need to talk to talk about is the person you should be talking to. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, A wife might not be able to talk to her husband. And actually, she might need to talk to a therapist about her husband. A husband might need to talk 
to a therapist and he might he might have to go into a therapist and say, my kids are driving me fucking nuts. <laughs> or do you know what I mean? Um, my, like, I don't understand this about my wife. I can't get beyond this. She's obsessed with X, Y and Z. Uh, she's obsessed with us having a new car every two years. I don't. That's not important to me, you know, and you need to. It's very hard to explain. You might not be able to have that conversation with your wife, but you can have it with a therapist and then he can help you deal with it. And that's just a sounding board, you know? Mm. Um, and that's what I, and, and that's the thing, the reason I talk about therapy and the reason I'm a, a mental health advocate is I, I would like to make uh, therapy norm, just normalize it in Irish society. Yeah. I don't know about Scottish society. I presume it's similar. Yeah. Um, big alcohol problems. <laughs> but, um, big, we, we talk after booze. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> and singing. But uh, but sober talking doesn't happen. Um, yeah, not so much. So just to make it, just to—I mean, I used to—I used to laugh at Americans talking about their therapists all the time, and, and and now I'm not laughing anymore. I'm like, Jesus, they had it sorted. And and there's people like that I admire, like Jerry Seinfeld, or you know, like people that you know that are famous. And I'm like, and he often talk about you know therapy and going to his therapist, and and I'm like, yeah, I get it, I get it now, you know, yeah. Tell me about um, about pure mental. Your well, I will just tell me. I'm just going to put the name out there. The, the title of it's pure mental. That's right. That's what it was called, right? Pure mental. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So pure... I, I thought I'd got it wrong there. No, um, no, yeah. no. So tell tell me about that and and what? Why did you decide to go down that route? Uh, well, I suppose it's all like this is this is all part of my journey for want of a better word with therapy and the thing that Luke my therapist started encouraging me to do and through our conversations he was like you like you like writing and I said well you know I, yeah he said you're a writer you're, you're clearly a writer I said I'm not a writer I've written things you know I've written sketches and I've written this but I and I've written the odd article but I'm not a writer he said well you've written things you're a writer you know and he started encouraging me to to journal so so journaling is just the type of journaling I did was just writing down every morning. I'd get up and just fill three fool's cap pages full of uh, pages of a page just full of my my thoughts in my head every morning. And I just get them down on paper and start journaling every day. And I found that very therapeutic. Uh, and through writing, I started uh, a lot of what I started writing down was like, mm, like what was coming out was like thing, things I was angry about, about my, my childhood and my experiences growing up in 80s Ireland. Um, and I went to do a creative writing course and I started writing short stories and everything that was coming out was about my experiences as a child in the 80s in Ireland. And all these, so many, so, all these stories about, you know, things that happened to my parents, things that happened to my mother, things that happened with school, things, you know, I went to, Christian brothers I went to you know all I was like you know I was literally uh there was literally violence everywhere I went you know what I mean uh children were like third class citizens you know yeah. um they were just there to be sort of dumped on um and so what I ended up with after the end at the end of this creative writing course was a bunch of short stories that I written about myself um and as, as, as an egotistical man, I felt the world should, should hear these stories. Um, but because I was going to therapy at the time, I was like, I think there's something I can do with these stories 
I really felt like I needed to talk about how men might need to go to therapy, might need to look after themselves because of how they were treated as children. Um, something we weren't really talking about. And I'm talking about how treat, children were treated within homes that we never really spoke about and how domestic violence, because we, when we talk about domestic violence, we think about husband and wife, wife on husband, husband on wife, yeah. uh, husband on husband, that, you know, it's, it's between partners, but we never talk about domestic violence towards children. Um, and I felt like a lot of the problems with men in Ireland in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, goes back to how they were treated as children and 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 there was also the thing of like you know oh, sure a slap never did me any harm or you know we we kind of like brushed it off going sure it made a man of me didn't it like you know being thumped around by a christian brother you know being thumped around at home you know that was it it it, it um it made you who you are you know yeah so there was that was which is a total lie and so I was interested in exploring that. And a lot of my stories were around that, around school and home experience. And, and uh, a friend of mine was a director and writer. We, we'd gone to college together. And I had studied a bit of acting in college and a bit of writing. And so I, I went to her and I, I sent her some of my stories. She said, this stuff is great. Um, do, you want, do you want me to help you fashion it into a, a one-man show slash play thing? And I was like, well, that'd be amazing because I didn't have a clue. First of all, why I'd sent her the stuff. I didn't know what she was going to do with it. I, I, I had no clue. Um, I kind of had this idea that I'd get up on stage and maybe read some of my short stories mm-hmm. or something. You know? So during lockdown or over two years, we together, we wrote Pure Mental, which is about um, a man who loses his job, a job he loves and ends up in therapy and discovers that uh, he hadn't dealt with a lot of his childhood traumas properly, deals with them, and then realizes that what he has is pretty, pretty, pretty sweet. This is a pretty sweet setup. Um, and the job probably didn't matter as much as he thought it did. Uh, and that's it. So it's a one man show. It's an hour long. I perform it. Um, and we toured the country with it uh, just before the third lockdown, just before Christmas 2021. And um, it was. Yeah, it was, it was something. I mean, I'd, it's funny because I'd always thought about writing something. I'd always, I'd always been interested in theatre. I'd always been interested in performing, but I'd probably, radio had sort of like taken over and I'd probably ignored that side of my dreams, for want mm-hmm. of a better word. I didn't really, I, I didn't figure that I'd end up on stage with a play I'd written talking about uh, my mental health. Do you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. weird how these things come about. You know, um, so that that's kind of it. I mean, in a nutshell. <laughs> do you obviously you said you did, you did the national tour? What was it sixteen? Um, sixteen yeah, dates. Six, over yeah, sixteen a month, dates. Yeah. 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 Um, do you think you'll? Do you think you'll go international? I.e. over here. Uh, I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, we, we there was talk at the start of this year. Um, of Edinburgh. Um, mm-hmm. So, but it was kind of, uh, I, <laughs> the tour, the month was like, uh, I did the month and then I have a job, a full-time job as well. So mm-hmm. I was trying to work and do the show and travel around the country. So that kind of took it out of me. And then we got it to Christmas and then it was January and you kind of need to be thinking about Edinburgh and all that kind of stuff in January and February and getting stuff sorted. So we kind of missed the ball on that one, but uh, the plan is to partner up with, there's a, a mental health 
festival that happens in Ireland every year, and that's January. So we're putting on the back burner. We're going to work towards January, uh, maybe a little tour in Ireland in January, and then uh, look at Edinburgh seriously for next year and see how the second run goes. Because the first run, obviously, it was still very much COVID Ireland. So um, it was was a difficult enough time to tour. So it'd be nice to get it back out in the road. yeah, it'd be lovely to get over to, to to get across the water up to Scotland. I think it might go down well. I think it would do really well in Edinburgh, actually. Now, I hadn't even considered Edinburgh. I was just being selfish and wanting you to bring it to the theatre here. But, um, yeah, well, I'll, just, I'll just do one. I'll just yeah, do, just one. Just come, just come into my bombs. living room and just do it in my living room. I've got a, <laughs> got a wee stage in my living room. Got three steps. You can do it there. Perfect. Um, so... The way you kind of summed up the the play there, obviously, it's your it's, it's your story, you know. Um, yeah. Had a great job, lost the job, went to therapy, discovered all this, um, all these reasons why, but then realised that you know your life was pretty damn good, and you're you're you know you're you're coping with well. Is that is that where you are now? Is that how you're feeling within yourself? Um, yeah, pretty much. Like mostly, like I still have to. It's, it's much different now because, like, say, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, my wife turned around to me and said, are you, are you a bit d- depressed? And she kind of said, because the last few weeks you've been really down. And I hadn't really noticed, but I was like, shit, yeah, maybe. Um, maybe there's something going on. And the point is that, like, it's not like I'm just content with everything and everything's perfect, but I live in a... Myself and my wife have a much more open, uh, uh, my circumstance, my, you know, as I, my, we have a much more open relationship in that she can suggest something to me like, are you okay? You know, mm-hmm. And I won't either snap at her and go, of course I'm fine. Why wouldn't I be fine? Everything's fine. Leave me alone and push her away because I'm not fine, which I would have done before. And I would have told yeah. her, everything's grand. Don't worry about me. Whereas now I'm able to go, yeah, actually, um, yeah. I need to, and I did something about it. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and that's the difference. So I'll be, uh, you know, pootling along, living life, and yeah, so, something will happen and something will take me down a little bit. And I maybe I won't notice myself, but then my wife might turn to me and go, You're maybe check in with Luke. And I will. And that is a world away from where I was, where I was just like on my own, on, man on a mission, fucking, you know, man up, grow a pair of balls, keep going, tell everybody outside of your own head that everything's grand and you've got everything in hand and nothing fazes you. And, and you know, the fact that you got belted around as a kid is absolutely fine. And anyone that complains about it, you know, they need they need to go to therapy. Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of like macho bullshit, you know? <laughs> And one thing that I've discovered whilst um, with all the different people that I've been chatting to over the past wee while is that nobody nobody ever gets their their after. So, you know, for example, when 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 my book was at number one, um, and you know, I'd, I'd lost a ton of weight and I was doing quite well, and I thought to myself, right, this is me, this is my after, this is it. But then 
it wasn't my after because you know there's a whole bunch of other you know shit happened and it all went down. Um, the the lady who I had on last week, she was uh she was a fitness model at one point and she thought like she looked great and she was and you know and she thought great this is my after this is me this is it, and yeah. but no it didn't happen. Same same with you you know you're you're at what you were at a point in your life you thought this is me this is my after but no life is shit and it throws things at you and um it's it's not about getting to that to that destination as corny as it sounds it's the it's the road that you travel to get there and it's finding picking up the tools and skills along the way to help Mm -hmm. you enjoy the ride you know because it is a ride and it's a rough ride sometimes it's exhilarating. It's exciting. It's scary. It's stressful. Uh, and living by its very nature is an anxious thing, you know? Um, so it's literally just picking up the tools to help you enjoy the ride. And that's what it is. So yeah, there's never a, you don't, you know, if you're dreaming of a point where you go, where you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm this guy now. And, you know, I get the whole, you know, looking great. And you know, there's probably a, a moment where you're like, yeah, I look great. I feel great. Everything's great. Everyone's happy, you know, and you will have those moments again, but it's not what, you know, yeah, you're, you're happy ever after. It's not, doesn't exist. And it's one of those lies that is told to kids as they grow up, you do well in school, get into college, university, do well in college, university or apprenticeship, do well in those, get a job, do well in that, get married, do well in that happy ever after. And that's, it's not linear. It's like life is not linear. Time is not linear. It's like, it's just shit happening. Uh, And anything can happen. Literally anything can happen in the next second. So to have that lie told to us is a bad start. We're starting from the wrong place. You know, and I I love now being able to say to my daughter, because she's gone to university or whatever. And when she was doing her, the Leaving Cert over here, which is the exam, the Mm A-levels, whatever. I was like, do do whatever. Like she was complaining about a subject, and I said, "Drop it. Just do whatever." What subjects do you enjoy? She was like, "Well, I enjoy it. Just do them." And she was like, "Yeah, but like other parents are saying that you need to have a language, and you need to have a science, and you need to have this." And I was like, "You don't need to have anything. You need to be happy. You need to do what brings you joy. Drop the subjects you don't like. Do the subjects you do like, and fucking see what happens. Don't worry about it." And because. And I, and I could see what other parents are like, you have to do well if you don't do well in these exams. And I've, I've literally heard parents saying to kids, if you don't do well in these exams, you'll end up on the scrap heap. Like, to tell a child that if they don't do well in these exams, they're going to end up on the scrap heap is like insane when you think about it. And mm-hmm. also, if you do well in those exams, first of all, you're not going to end up in the scrap heap if you don't do well in the exams. But also, you could also end up on... The inverted commas yeah. scrap heap, if you did well in the exams, whatever your idea of the scrap heap is, like it, it's there's no guarantees either way, you know? So you might as well enjoy it as much as you can. And then as far as university cons- is concerned, that's the other lie then. If you do well in the university, then you get to the top of the ladder in university and then you start at the bottom of the ladder in your job and then you try and get to the top of that ladder. And then it's just, a, so that's not the that's not the linear, that's not the story we need to be telling our children. We need to be telling our children Find the things that make you happy. Find the people that make you happy and just go with it. Find out what makes you happy. Be honest with yourself. Be vulnerable and good things will just happen. And, that, and that's just, that's how I look at life now. And that's how it's, things have changed, you know. So it's, 
Yeah. Be vulnerable. That is that is the you should you should have t-shirts. Just yeah, you know. but yeah, just be vulnerable. Yeah. Just yeah. be vulnerable. Love it. Yeah. Um yeah. I think I, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. But before we do, um tell us about um your your social media. Where can where can everybody find you? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm on Instagram and, and literally I'm Keith Walsh on Instagram. I, uh, I, I, I don't even know. I think it's, it might be KeithWalsh.Walsh or something like that. Um, I'm in Instagram. I'm on Twitter. People can find me. And uh, that's it. There's not, not a huge amount to say. I, I, don't, I don't normally promote my social media, but I'm there for people to find me. Um, I'm an Irish guy called Keith Walsh, not the solicitor. He seems to be the other um person that comes up when I when I when I google myself um, there's there's also there's a skateboarder a very famous skateboarder from Dublin called Keith Walsh as well I'm not him either so uh, I'm the radio tv presenter uh, working in advertising at the moment guy called Keith Walsh if you're looking for me um, and hopefully we'll get to Scotland with the play there we go eh? be vulnerable if there was any one piece of advice that could be given be vulnerable that is that is it isn't it thanks very much to Keith Walsh for joining us today on the Peer Project podcast Uh, next week I will be chatting to a lady by the name of Aubrey Edwards now that name might sound familiar to you if you are a wrestling fan because Aubrey Edwards is one of the first female referees in professional wrestling she works for AEW All Elite Wrestling and she'll be joining me next week on the Peer Project podcast and I have some excellent guests lined up for the future as well thank you very very much for listening once again to the peer project podcast and uh, make sure like rate and subscribe it helps us out with the algorithms and things like that and find us on social media just look for me duke writes books all over social media right have a good week take care of yourself and i'll see you next time on the peer project podcast Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.